It's great to be with you. I have been here as an RUF campus minister for many, many years uh, and excited to be here as a church planter as well and to get to preach. Um, uh, My wife, Kristen, is here. We have three kids, uh, Thomas, Lila, and Andrew. And one of the things that we like to do on Saturdays is watch football. And I was reminded last night as we were watching the game Uh, If you saw uh, Texas A&M on the side of their stadium, it says, home of the 12th man. So I was reminded of a story that back in 1922, Texas A&M was playing the number one team in the country, and uh, their players kept getting injured, and more and more players got more injured, and their head coach, Dana Bible, uh, in a moment of desperation, recalled that an enrolled student uh, in Texas A&M was up in the press box. And so he called and said, do you think that that guy could come down here and play? And so uh, this guy came down from the press box and took the uniform off of one of the Hurt players and put it on. Now, that uh, person did not actually go into the game that day, but the legend has sort of grown. And many of you knew this, but Texas A&M is known as home of the 12th man. And and for years, it was sort of assumed or, or thought Um, or rumored that they would grab someone out of the stands and put the number 12 on their jersey and that they would be on the opening kickoff. Um, Anyway, home of the 12th man, Texas A&M. The reason why I start with that is because as we think about fall missions emphasis Sunday, and as you think about missions in your own life, there's a phrase that goes around that you've probably heard, and that is this. When it comes to missions, there are only two options. You either go or you send. And while as a missionary, uh, I think that phrase was helpful for me to be able to raise support. And it also is helpful because it gives many of us a sense of purpose behind our giving. I also think it has an unintended consequence. Because if you say the only two options are going or sending, then it can give the, the idea that there are 11 players and everyone else is a paid spectator. And so I want this morning to introduce to you a new phrase, uh, and that is this, in, but not of, and for. In, not of, and for. Because when it comes to missions, this is going to be boring and no surprise, right? I'm going to say it anyway. God needs you to be a missionary. And if we don't start with that, then nothing that I say from this text is going to make a lot of sense. So uh, let's get rid of the idea that there is a stadium full of spectators that may pay some more, some less, but 11 professionals. And let's let's all agree that, that for God to accomplish his mission in the world, he's going to need you. And that includes children, that includes mothers that stay at home, that includes businessmen and women. It's going to take all of us to accomplish this mission. And in order to sort of bring up this phrase, in, not of, and for, I want to introduce you to a passage in the Old Testament. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. 
If you're new to the scriptures, if you go to Psalms, that's in the middle of the Bible. Just go forward a few books and you'll find Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29. I hope you know everything there is to know about this passage. I will tell you this. As a campus minister for 13 years, I preached the most out of the Gospels because I knew that college students needed to hear about Jesus as much as possible. If there was a close second, it would be Jeremiah 29 and the book of Daniel. Because I believe that this passage has as much to say to us about our sense of purpose and our sense of mission as any other place in Scripture. And so Jeremiah 29, uh, at RUF at Birmingham Southern, uh, we stand for the reading of God's Word. So I invite you, if you're able, to stand with me as I read Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 14. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is God's word. You can have a seat. So in, not of, and for. Here's what we know about the context of Jeremiah 29. There is a superpower in the world at that time, and it was Babylon. And, And we know in history that in 586 B.C., under the the leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar, the armies of Babylon marched into Jerusalem and tore it to the ground. But we also know from history that 10 years before this happened, the same army marched into Jerusalem and did something pretty peculiar. They, they actually kidnapped 10,000 of the young professionals in Jerusalem and made them march 900 miles back to Babylon to force them to assimilate into Babylonian culture. Jeremiah 29 is an excerpt from a letter that was written by God's prophet Jeremiah to God's people that had been taken from Jerusalem over to Babylon. So it's about three years since this has happened, uh, since they've been taken. And this is a real letter 
that was sent to real people that found themselves in a foreign land. And what's interesting about this is that this letter becomes sort of a blueprint for someone else in the Old Testament named Daniel. If, you've, if you're familiar with Daniel in the lion's den, you know who Daniel is in the Old Testament. Daniel and his friends in chapters 1 through 6 actually use Jeremiah chapter 29 sort of as a blueprint for their life. And if you read the stories in Daniel, you actually see some of these principles at play. But what's interesting is that in the New Testament, God calls his people exiles. He says that you and I are exiles in a foreign land. So what we can determine is that in Jeremiah 29, it has something to say to you and I today. So here are God's people from a foreign place that have found themselves in Babylon, and they do what I guess is expected or understandable, and that is is that they camp outside the city. They find themselves in this foreign land where people don't share their same convictions, their same beliefs, and so they camp just outside the city, and God says to them through this letter, I want you to move in. I want you to get in there. And I want you to build houses and settle down. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to get in. God's mission in the world requires you and me to move in, to get engaged, to not remain on the outskirts of our culture, but to move in. And it's understandable. You would... you. You can at least see why God's people were camped on the outside of the city. Because their beliefs didn't square with Babylon. Where where did their assumptions about morality and about good and and wrong fit in with Babylon? So it was complicated for them to go into Babylon. Just like it is complicated for you and I to move in to different places in our life. There was an article that some of you may have read in the New York Times just this past week. And the title of the article was, Where Do Christians Fit Into the Two-Party Political System in America? And the answer was, they don't. It's complicated. Where do our beliefs and our assumptions fit in with the assumptions of the culture around us? So it's understandable. And you could even make the argument that they didn't want to move in because it would have been dangerous. If you read the first six chapters of Daniel, you see that them moving into the city actually would have put themselves in hostility, in harm's way. And to make it even worse, there were people claiming to be God's voice saying to them, just hang on for just a little bit longer because God is going to wipe those people out. Just stay together and wait for two more years. If you look in Jeremiah 28, this is what the prophet Hananiah was saying. Just hold on for two more years. Don't worry, because God is going to take care of those people that are messing up the world. And isn't that what we hear today? Just strengthen numbers, get together, stay where it's safe, because in just a little while, don't worry, God's going to take care of those people that are making things hard for us. And God says, move in, settle down, 
build houses. You're not just renters, you are residents. To put it another way, in in John chapter 17, Jesus says to God, his Father, just as you have sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. So my first point for us today is, where are you on the outskirts? Either in your neighborhood, at your office, in your school, and where can you move in? And so, for some of you, that may actually mean moving in somewhere. I have a friend who grew up in a very nice part of Birmingham, went away to college, came back to Birmingham, and had a heart for engaging in uh, ministry to the poor. And so over the years as he was doing this, he became more and more unsettled by the drive from those areas of town back into his nice neighborhood. And so what did God call him to do? To move in. And so he moved into a lower income neighborhood in Birmingham as a single guy. Now he's married and, he, and they are building a house in that neighborhood. Some of you, God may actually call to move. But others of you, God may actually just call you to move towards your neighbors. God may call you to move in on your street a little bit more. There's an author named Charles Dickens, who many of us are familiar with. He, he writes a, a chapter in one of his books called Telescopic Philanthropy. Telescopic Philanthropy. And he talks about this character named Mrs. Jellybee. And Mrs. Jellybee was involved in missions in Africa. But the more you read the chapter, the more you see that everything around her locally was in shambles. But she was really good at ministering to those on the other side of the world. And the, the book that referenced this, Charles Dickens' chapter, said that it was a good example of how you and I are prone to love our neighbors far away. Or in the abstract. Love your neighbor just simply means be a nice person to everyone that you meet. And yes, that's true. But what if Jesus really meant love your neighbor as in the people that live to your right and to your left? So for some of you, move in might be get more involved on your street. And then others of you, move in may just mean find a way to get more involved at school. Find a way to get more involved at work. Find a way to get more involved in local politics, in local youth sports. Whatever it is, how can you move towards people? How can you move in? And I I can feel the the potential objection. Because you... uh, Many of you have read the Bible and know that Jesus says, I want you to be in the world, but what? Not of it. And you're thinking Jesus calls us to be light and salt. And, and so he wants us to be distinct, right? And even in Jeremiah 29, God does say that through the prophet Jeremiah. He says that he, that he is calling them to move into the city, but even while they're there, he says he wants them to multiply there and do not decrease. And one day I will come and bring you back. And so even in this letter, you see that Jeremiah is reminding God's people, 
that though I want you to move in, I want you to remember that you represent Jerusalem. Even though God is calling us into the city of man, he wants us to remember that we represent the city of God. And isn't this what we as God's people have struggled with? I don't know, forever? What does it look like to be in the world but not of the world? A commentator on this passage helps the best when he says that Christians are to be like ambassadors. And most of us know at least what an ambassador is, right? But have you thought about what an ambassador has to do? An ambassador lives in one country, but represents another country. But in order to do what an ambassador has to do, and to do it well, that man or woman has to be very well versed in the language, the customs, everything about the country where they live, they have to know because they got to get stuff done. But they never lose sight of the fact that they are representing the interests of their home country. And that's a really good way for us to think about what it means to be in and not of. We are ambassadors. Or Jesus says, we're the light of the world. No one puts a bowl over a light. We're the salt of the earth. We're supposed to be rubbed into culture and into society. When I was in seminary, I read a really short book that I'll never forget called Chameleon Christianity. And it was, a, it was one book that told one story about the difference between a musk ox and a chameleon. Now, I had to look up what a musk ox is, but I'll tell you um, that there's something interesting about a musk ox, that when they are presented with danger or difficulty, their immediate reaction is to huddle up into a small herd for protection. On the other hand, the book talks about a chameleon. Now, most of us know what a chameleon does. In the presence of any kind of danger, what does a chameleon do? It changes its color so as to blend in. And so, yes, there are, there are some of us here this morning that need to, to think about the musk ox and think, how have I just huddled up for safety and, and strength in numbers with other people who believe the same things I do and avoided moving in? But then there are others of us here that might need to think about the chameleon and might need to think, in the presence of differences and potential hostility and danger, how have I changed who I am and how I look so I don't have to have a hard conversation, so I don't stand out, so I don't make a scene, so I don't have to make a hard choice? How have you remained on the outside and failed to move in, or how have you moved in but failed to represent your true country, as one of God's ambassadors. In, but not of. Let me see if I can help us figure this all out with the third point. I read an article this week that talks about this phrase, in, but not of, and it said this. When you think about the phrase, in, but not of, the focus is primarily on in, And it makes us think as Christians, oh, we have to be in the world, but let's just make sure we're not of it. 
And that tends to be what we read when we hear the, or think about when we, when we think about that phrase, in but not of. Yes, we have to be in, but let's make sure we're not of. And if you read John 17, if you read Jesus' prayer there, the emphasis is really on you are not of, but I'm sending you in. And so maybe, it should, maybe I should have said the title differently. Maybe it's not of, but sent in. And the reason why that's helpful is because in but not of does actually doesn't tell us anything about what we're supposed to do here. In but not of just tells us how to be, but it doesn't give us a mission. It doesn't give us a purpose. And I, and I wanted to start off by saying, you are the missionaries. You, you have a part to play in this. God has a mission, and it includes you. I love this quote uh, by Rowan Williams. He said that it is not the church of God that has a mission. It is actually the God of mission who has a church. And he needs you to put on a uniform and play a part. So really the way to think about it is not of, but sent in. Not of, but sent in. And God gives his people a very clear mission in Jeremiah 29. And I want you to see it. It's in verse 7. He says, I've sent you in, I want you to settle down, remain distinct, but seek the welfare of the city where I have called you into exile. The NIV uses the phrase, the peace and prosperity. The welfare, the peace and prosperity. I hope you already know this, but that, those are attempts to, to explain a Hebrew word, shalom. And the word shalom means everything as it was intended to be. And what I read in Jeremiah 29 is this. What God wants in the world is, to, is for everything to be as it was intended to be. God's mission in the world is restoration. It is renewal. It is redemption. And it will require all of us. He says, I want you to seek the shalom or the welfare of the city where I have called you. And you can't forget that that was Babylon. We cannot sugarcoat this. God is saying, I want you to build houses and settle down and represent me in Babylon. Seek the flourishing or the shalom of the city. So my question for you this morning is, what would your neighborhood look like if everything was as it was intended to be? What would your school look like? What would your business look like if God really did change it and he wanted to use you to do it? Another way to think about it, Amy Sherman in her book, Kingdom Calling, he said, she says that we are to live lives by yanking foretastes of the future back into the present. By yanking foretastes of what is to come, the new heavens and the new earth, back into the present. That's how we're to live our lives. Another way to put it is that we're to live our lives like the little spoons at the ice cream shop. Have you been to the ice cream shop and you wanted to try a sample? And do you know how small those little spoons are? But you get a little taste of the goodness that is to come. That's how we're to live our lives on mission, with a purpose. We are to live lives that just give people a glimpse 
a little taste of what is to come. Let me give you one caveat and then I'll close. Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. And you may have it on a poster at home. Um, we, you don't do posters anymore. We, when I was a kid, we did posters. Anyway, Jeremiah 29, 11, you know it, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Did you notice what the verse right before it said? Did you notice that right before it, it said this? When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come and fulfill my gracious promise. 70 years? Can you imagine receiving that? Can you imagine being told, I have great news for you. It's going to come true in 70 years. It's not normative for all times for all God's people, but at least we have to consider that God's designs are slow. And while we are to live lives that yank foretastes of the world that is to come back into the future, we need to remember that we can overestimate what can happen in the short term. And we can underestimate what God can do in the long term. We have a tendency to think that just over the hill, everything's going to change just over the next election cycle, just over the next seat on the Supreme Court, just over the next horizon, everything's going to change. And we at least need to read Jeremiah 29 and say, you know, God tends to work slowly. And we don't know why that is, probably because he wants to use us and we work slowly. But nonetheless, God's designs are slow. In not of and for. In, not of, and for. I read this week about a judge in North Carolina named Lou Oliveira. Lou Oliveira is a Gulf War veteran and a judge, a county judge in North Carolina. And he had a man uh, before him that had violated uh, part of his agreement, um, and he had to sentence this man to one night in jail. He noticed, though, throughout the hearing uh, that this man was also an army veteran of the war in Afghanistan. And he noticed that this man had earned three Purple Hearts for his tours in Afghanistan um, and his time in combat. And he noticed that this man suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder. And this judge knew, as a veteran himself, that to send this man into an isolated jail cell and to shut the door behind him for a night, even just for a night, would probably be very stressful on this man and probably be very difficult. And so what did the judge do? He actually agreed to drive this man to the jail and walk him in. And you can actually watch video of this online because it gets better. Because after, the, after this man, he's a Green Beret, his name is Joe Cerna, walks into his jail cell and the door shuts behind him. And, and this man is quoted as saying that all the memories of, of, of uh, moments in, in combat came rushing back. But then the door opened and the judge walked into the jail cell. And then the door closed. 
You see, the judge had worked a deal with the, with the wardens at the jail and asked them if he could spend the night with Joe Cerna. And so the judge walks into the jail cell and for the entire night sits with this man and talks to him until the next day. Not guilty of any crime, but sent in for the sake of others. Now, how does someone live a life like that? How are you and I when it gets difficult? Because this is an ever-changing culture that we live in, right? How are you and I going to get the ability to live in the world, but not of it, but for the sake of others? I would argue that the only way we can get that ability is to know that someone else who wasn't of was sent in for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that Jesus knew no sin, not of, knew no sin, became sin, was sent in. That's what we're going to celebrate in this Advent season is the incarnation. God sent his son into the world, though he was not of it. Why? For what purpose? For the sake of others. For the sake of you and me. If that story gets into your bones, you might just have the chance to live a life like this. To the extent that you know that someone who wasn't of was sent in at great cost for you, will you have the ability to move in, be not of, but live a life of great cost for others? In, but not of, and for. Let's pray. Jesus, we need eyes to see the beauty of the incarnation. We are tempted to give up when things are difficult. And as we think about our street, as we think about our own hearts and our homes, as we think about our businesses, our schools, our city, the task at hand sounds overwhelming. But remind us, God, that this is your mission and we get to join you in it. Help us to see, Jesus, that you, though you were not of, moved in for our sake. And help us to live lives that provide a foretaste of what is to come. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.